0: Welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. Today's guest is a music marketing expert. His name is Brandman Sean. He is the co-founder of the Brandman Network and the Contraband Agency. And he's been a Trapital day one, and it's great to finally have him on the podcast. Sean, welcome, man.
1: Hey, man. Excited to be on the podcast. As you said, man, been on here since day one. I'm loving the content that you put out. You have a blue ocean right now, man, as far as I know. So, Congrats to that. I'm glad to be here, bro.
0: Thanks, man. I feel like it's just the other day that I was down in Atlanta. We all met up at that, brunch out at A3C, man. Time flies, and the world has changed a lot since then, too. Oh, man, you are right about that. You are right about that. Different world, for sure. Well, I think one of the reasons it's great to have you on is because you have been spreading the good word about how artists can better market themselves and all of the tools and all of the resources they can use. And I imagine that's a great role to have because you've obviously built up a really great following. You now have over 100,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, which is dope.
1: Just recently, like two days ago.
0: (laughs) I know, I checked it, man. I was actually waiting for it. I was like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I imagine that it's also a lot to keep up with all of the changes that are constantly happening in the industry. So someone that wants to, communicate the best insights, how has it been both keeping up with everything and also making sure that you can communicate to your audience everything that's happening?
1: It's actually pretty difficult to be real with you, not from a standpoint of just being able to have a pulse in general and know how to navigate when you are able to consume, but as someone who's actually running a business for real and building that out with my partner, it's hard to actually be able to stay tapped in to the culture or cultural moments. Like one of the guys that I know named Ruslan, he hit me up on Sunday. He wanted to review with his audience, the Lil Nas X situation that happened recently with the blood in the shoes and all that stuff. And I couldn't give him the information because I had no idea what Lil Nas X did. I honestly didn't. I, I saw a picture. But it didn't even allude to any of the other stuff. I had no idea. I just heard that stuff this morning while I was in the gym, listening to a podcast, and they were explaining the situation. I'm like, man. So, like, there's those moments where you have to be head, heads down and building the back-end infrastructure that you kind of got to let culture <laughs> pass you by for a second. <laughs> but I know that culture is always happening. So, you know, when I get back in, something else is going to happen. <laughs>
0: And I think the thing that's interesting for you, because you're doing a mix of things, right? You're hitting evergreen topics that regardless of what's happening at the moment, it is going to resonate. But- you have people that are hitting you up about these new things that may become evergreen topics too. Like what are NFTs? What is this? What is that? And it's so much. And I think you do a good job of it, but yeah, I imagine it's tough for anyone that is an indie creator that doesn't have this huge team, but you're trying to put out the best content, but also be timely.
1: It's always the timeliness, but I made a conscious decision not to be uh, subjected to having to live by the timeliness of YouTube. That's why I work to build an actual business outside of YouTube because that treadmill is is a beast. And I'm not trying to be like an academics or somebody with like the news flow because it's driving you. But for me, when it comes to talking about stuff, like you said, though, evergreen fashion, no matter how timely the subject is, I'm always basing it on principles. And those principles are going to stand the test of time. So I'm never worried about is what I'm
0: talking about relevant? Is more, do people care? (laughs) And I think that serves you well. So for the people that are listening but are less familiar with you, how would you describe the Brandman Network, the Contraband Agency, and how they intersect with each other?
1: So Brandman Network is a space and community for artists to not only learn from experts, our entire team from Contraband Agency is helping out and teaching them there, but for them to take that information and build a career for themselves, right? For them to apply it, to cut out the middleman and build their own infrastructure. We work very hard to make sure the course information is up to date and have a community where we can be very lean and give them information they can learn from other artists. And it's been extremely beneficial. There's been a lot of artists that have had, now they're 2 million followers or on TikTok, signing record deals, or hundreds of thousands on IG, all those superficial things that you want, you know, one out of it. There's that, except we pair it with the back end that helps you make a smarter decision. Because my North Star is always closing the information gap for artists. And the industry is so secretive, right? And even when things get out there, now you have a lot of people sharing stuff on YouTube. The issue comes, well, is this information correct? Or are you applying the correct information at the wrong time? So helping them bring all that together, artists and managers to build their own infrastructures. And then at my agency, Contra Brand Agency, it's a full service marketing agency where we serve indies all the way to major labels, work with a lot of major labels and work with plenty of major artists. And that's a space that the people on and Network can't necessarily afford, right? Our fees, the labor is different. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it, it's a different beast. But the beauty is we can take Everything that we're learning in the real world as practitioners and put that into the brand man network space. Cause it's not really competing, although intellectually, at first, it might seem like, oh, we're competing or cannibalizing each other. For the most part, it's like, yo, that guy can't even afford to work with you. So even if he has the information, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it doesn't really intersect that way. But yeah, that's what it is. We have our agency where we do it for you. And then we have the education space, brand man network, where we teach you how to do it yourself.
0: And I think that model, and that balance is the flow and the vibe I think we've seen from a lot of companies right now. It's like, you understand that there is a great opportunity to disseminate this information. A lot of people that will benefit from it, all of them aren't necessarily going to either A, reach the point, or if even if they reach the point, have the money to be able to pay for the other services that you could offer. But that's why you have another side of the business. In some ways, it reminds me of how... United masters can have all of its artists. And then on the other side, you have translation it's ad agency to then team up with the big brands. And you hear so much about how people are like building audiences and then having products themselves that they offer. That's the same model that you're doing. And I think it's the model that makes the most sense right now.
1: It does today for sure. Because also outside of just different ideal customers, you also have the fact that there's a limitation right? When you talk about scaling, we we have a, a capacity that we can take on. There's no way we can serve a certain amount of artists. And to be honest, for those who haven't done festivals or agencies, things like that, the margins are different. So it
0: helps to have different avenues to help margins scale out a little bit. Right. You had mentioned that even though you're contraband agency is more for the bigger customers you still do have courses and some offerings for the people that are part of the brand man network right so even if they can't do the big thing there are still other offerings that you have that you can give them
1: yeah we have plenty like i said i mean we're taking the sauce that we're applying and building out these artists who really are buying convenience because at this point, the information's in the network, but you're getting the same quality of information, the stuff that we are actually doing, is just that whether you want us to do it or do you want to put it into work yourself. That makes sense. There's courses that we use to train our team. There's some of those courses that are in the network.
0: And one of the things you had mentioned when you are describing it is that sometimes one of the places artists can make mistakes is that they have the right information, but they're applying it at the wrong times. What's an example of that?
1: Ooh, Okay. one of the biggest things of artists is focusing on PR too early. It's like, what are you PRing right now? You know what I mean? You need something to build something. So one, the PR could expand on. I mean, two, when you understand the function of PR these days, particularly the traditional blogs and things like that, it's more of a business B2B play than it is a B2C play. Fans, they don't know that you were in the Vogue blog or whatever big publication. We're talking about classic, well-known publications, not even the fake blogs where they're just repurposing and selling it to a lot of artists for the low end just for some general SEO. I'm talking about very known GQs and things like that. People don't even know that you're on it if it doesn't get posted to Instagram. (laughs) Like that's where we are today. So all that stuff. Is In many ways, is a B2B play, establishing your image, your brand for those people you want to get sponsors with or getting some industry buzz you know, all that clout type stuff on that end. But unless you plan to literally take the fact that you're over there and market it over here on social media, so many people won't know about it. And with that being said, so many artists, it's not even worth getting to that step yet, right? You just need to work on building the other ground level things. There's so many routes to build your fan base before
0: you get there. I think that's a common one because so many people, especially if you're trying to build your career and your audience on social media, you're seeing the people perform on Jimmy Fallon or you're seeing the people perform on these types of shows. And it's like, yeah, that could be great, but you need to look behind the numbers because there's plenty of people that have all those vanity metrics. And when the sales come, they're not selling as much as people would think. And I think that's one of the things that puts artists who are actually putting in the work at advantage because you would surprise some people by focusing on the stuff that really matters. Hey man,
1: it's astounding, but not that astounding how much people ignore just the reality, right? The real numbers moving. I get it. It's lazy. Like it's well, easier, right. And you get that vanity, that front end part where it feels, you can feel the same dopamine rush as if something actually happened with that quicker route. But yeah, you would be surprised how many, not you, but like so many artists will be surprised how much the lack of impact of being on those shows and things like that don't get you anywhere. But those people who have those teams, cause that's also another thing, a lot of times it's not, oh, you're, you're at a certain level of fan base. So, hey, come on this show. You're somebody in your team, somebody knows something. It's literally a completely different game. And the problem is artists are behind this cloak. Well, not even behind the cloak, they're in front of the stage But you don't understand what's happening behind the stage. And we all get that in every industry. If it's not your industry, you're on that side of it. And you don't understand the little knobs that are being pulled. And you're kind of being taken aback by the movie magic of it all versus the real shit. And I don't know, man. I don't know how to get people to just focus on what matters. But I'll say it clearly. You can make a lot of money. By have you had the team that gets you on those shows and they flip those shows into sponsor deals? There's a whole career in just that. (laughs) But understand, that's not the same thing as the vision you probably had when you were just a kid growing up, seeing in the front of the scenes and thinking, oh, fans and screaming that. You can have both, but they're also mutually exclusive.
0: That point makes me think about some of the charts and some of the studies I've seen people look at when they're looking at who are the people that perform at shows like the Grammys and who are the people that perform in headline concerts at Coachella. So for instance, the Grammys thing, someone, I think it was either Joe Budden or someone was talking about all of the artists that performed at the Grammys and all of those are signed to the biggest record labels in the world. Like Their point is that it's not a coincidence that Four of the Republic Records artists were ones that were either nominated for Album of the Year or Song of the Year or some of the big awards. And then on the festival side, someone had taken all of the names of all the artists that were headliners or at least a few rows under that at Coachella, and they replaced it with the agency representation that they had. And literally everyone was either... CAA, WME, UTA, and so on. And, and, you know, there wasn't that much difference. And it's like, that's just the surface of the knobs that you're talking about. Like you have to understand how the game's really played because if you want that, but you also want to talk about, you know, you want to own this and ownership that, which is great, but like, think about how those two things may not necessarily sync up with each other and whether it's real, you really want to do.
1: Exactly, because it'll save you so much, right? Part of my job is not to necessarily blow an artist up and all that. It's just to get you past the bullshit, so now you can make a decision: Do I want to make this deal? Because I want to know what to be the biggest artist in the world, and I know I need some of this, like Russ eventually getting this distro deal because he know he needed radio. Like that shows you everything, right? He had the success he had indie with you know Kara Lewis as the booking agent, but like. He had that, but, oh, I want to get on radio. It's about more than that. That's a different game. It's a politics of it. And if someone's going to politic for you, well, I need a piece of the pie. Why am I going to put this work in? That's the ebb and flow. So if you can at least get past the BS, the stuff that doesn't matter, and just see clearly, right, and make a strategic decision based on your personal goal, then it'll save you so much stress because nothing is worse than like ramming your head against the wall Especially if you actually have quality music, you have it, and starting to get insecure and beat yourself up because you're not getting a result. Understanding that no, you're just not playing the right game. Like <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it does affect artists. You, know, you think oh you're comparing? Well, it's like oh, you're comparing, but it's like there's a reason. It's a very clear reason that you're not getting that output. Ryan Leslie said that. Uh, last thing I'll say on that. Like when I interviewed him, one of the things he talked about. I can't remember. If it was during the interview or when we were just talking, but. He thought he just had to be super skillful. That's how he got so dope, right? Like he learned how to play all these instruments, blah, blah, blah. And he realized there was no progress in his career. And it was like, yo, I got to get out there, sell myself, right? Completely different game. Yeah, he dopest guy in the world, but it doesn't mean
0: anything if you don't get other people to move for you. agree 100% there. And that reminds me of a point that I know you've talked about often in your videos on how artists can beat other artists that have multiple times the budget that they do. And I think a lot of that's by focusing on the things that matter and ignoring the things that don't. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: I mean, it's hard to even dissect it deeper than that, though, right? If you focus on what matters, making forward progress, it's the simple math of if you spread yourself too thin. It's investment strategy. You know, good old working class people take this advice of diversification far too early. You need to have something to diversify. So if you have minimum resources, right, you don't have a team or you only got one person working with you, you only have a thousand dollars right now. You keep spreading this stuff between things, especially things that don't have an impact you're going to make very little progress or no progress. First of all, you barely can afford to make no progress, right? And just to go through legitimate testing, which it sucks, right? You can't afford to go through testing, get something wrong and get something right later, let alone just spread it across things that work, five different things that work, but you spread it so thin and didn't invest in a strategy. You just did five different tactics. When you do get some impact that works, it's so incremental because there's no focus there, right? And you can't maximize. So. Is really just that, right? It's like, yo, if I'm investing a million dollars with a 12% return, it's different than having a thousand dollars with a 12% return, let alone a hundred dollars spread 10 different places, getting a 12% return on that, and then different returns on the other places. And it's just math at the end of the
0: day. Yeah, I think the focus is key. And if you're spread too thin, like you put it, if you diversify too early, you're gonna run into problems. And I feel like how you've built up Rare Man Networking is an example of that. Your main channel has been YouTube. You do have other channels where you have presence. I know you put stuff out on Instagram, you've done stuff on TikTok, you've had a few other areas, but at least 80% of your energy is most likely going towards YouTube. And every six months, there's likely some other place where there's a distraction of people that you could continue to build that following with. But by you doing that, that's how you're able to hit the milestones that you just hit pretty recently. And... I think that can be applied to artists, too, in terms of where are you spending your time in terms of how you're building your own social following? Where are you trying to build up your presence? And when there's the new shiny object, and there always is going to be one, because that's the landscape that we're in right now, what do you do? How focused can you be? And not that you need to ignore things. You always want to be opportunistic, but there's an extent in terms of how you can do it and understanding that there's going to be limited resources. And hopefully, eventually, you can get to a point where you can spread out, but you can't spread out until you at least have some type of focus and strength in a particular area. Exactly. People like Gary Vee are saying be
1: everywhere. And that's the danger. And I face that, right? When you're speaking to a large audience, right? And you aren't able to give them very specific to them because you're not talking one-on-one. It's like, yes, be everywhere is an ultimate goal, but it might not be a practical goal for step one. So yeah, that's definitely it. Even down to the fact that I just spoke marketing. There's so many other aspects of music, especially at the beginning where I could have talked about and got into it, but nope, I'm just gonna stay on marketing. I'm not gonna even get on these other topics or production. I don't wanna be in that bag, stay here, and you know me as this guy, right? Even if I know about some of this stuff to a certain extent, you know what I mean? It's like, eh, but I don't wanna create that, right? And especially at that time, there were very few people, no, there was nobody going in-depth and just staying on marketing. It was more, let's say, producers, doing all their tutorials, but then opportunistically throwing in marketing or just helpfully, but it was like a branch, right? Artists doing the same thing and then it's a branch. Now you see more people who stay in the marketing bag somewhere around it. But for me, it was just a matter of discipline and not wanting to... It also takes more... Let's just say you just want to be a YouTuber or online personality. Then you have to go learn about all this stuff. And then you got to get checked at some point. Do you really know what you're talking about? I have this internal compass where... I have to know what I'm talking about. You know, I feel like I stopped doing videos for a second where it was just like, I don't feel like I have anything else to say. All the foundation is there. The principles have been said. I don't want to just say the same shit over and over again. I could, I don't want to do that. So let me go learn some more. Let's grow the agency and go through things that can be helpful in that fashion. Some of the stuff might get a lot of views. some might not, but you're so much better off in the long run because that service level stuff and popularity, you know, filters out. At some point, people will figure out who have a little bit more depth,
0: you know? Was it tough to stay focused, though? Of course, that is the strategy that makes the most sense. But for you, while you were thinking through and people likely were hitting you up with other opportunities outside of marketing or requesting you to do things outside of marketing, was it tough to have that folks be like, no, I know that opportunity is there, but I'm sticking in this lane?
1: Oh, man, it was very tough for me, man. I went through a period for about two, three years where I really didn't know if I was going to do tech industry or music. And the music won me over. Like, it really won me over because, you know, the margins aren't the same in music as it is in tech. (laughs) Not ground up. You can eventually get there, but it just it was like, yeah, I'd rather just keep helping people and, and leave it fun. And, and instead of dealing with all these smaller things, or granular problems, working with a big artist at a major label, and we're arguing about $4,000, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, it's just like, ah, versus, you know, trying to raise sometimes an astronomical amount that doesn't make sense, right? There's a the delusion on, on the tech side sometimes, but like, it was just different, right? And candidly not being in a place where I could not think about money at that time in life, right? So that alone was hard. And then when it came to staying focused in music, it was like, what side? Because there's so many branches of it. I'm very big on economics because I believe over a long period of time, I can do so many of the things I want to do, but I got to get myself in a position where I could stay in the game and evolve over time. So like my festival I had, that it was, it was fairly successful very quickly in large due to the marketing. Economics didn't work out. Right. To where I wanted to get. And as quickly as I wanted to get looking at the difficulties and what it takes to fundraise, how many people you have to be dealing with, all those things. Right. It's like if I don't love this, I don't need to try to scale my life in this space. Right. and It's not monthly. It's very specific times of year, let alone anybody will know I'm talking about who's like done a festival when you talk about just announcing the artist, the timeline of the, if the actual contracts are done, that whole period right there is like, whoa. So personality wise and economically, I didn't like the margins to deal with that many people. Then, okay. I like this YouTube thing. This online thing is so much scalable. My impact is able to go further. I didn't want to work open an agency for the longest. I fought it. I fought it. I fought it. Right. How come? Uh, partially the margins, partially the same reason I didn't want to be a manager because dealing with people and having so much of the result rely on you. It just didn't make sense to me. But obviously, an agency, you have more control. But I just didn't see it. Right. It wasn't until I saw a need to serve artists better. But just as a general business, I wasn't a fan of it. But as a oh, this will help me teach more people better than I did it. That's pretty much my entire evolution. Uh, throughout music right okay i'm helping people for fun in the real world okay more and more people are starting to help ask me questions because of this festival that they see and all these things i'm helping all these artists kind of blow up and the festival has no big names and is doing well so i keep getting all these questions now I was like oh well how can i help more people let me create some youtube videos to just send them when i get these frequently asked questions from there youtube started doing well and I like, oh, I kind of like this, just the video creation process. I wasn't thinking about like becoming a YouTube brand, nothing like that. But then from there, more questions from artists. Well, let me do consultations. I was making money, but I got tired of going through that process and feeling like it was a waste of time. Well, like I didn't need the money, especially when I was like half in tech. I was just like, I'm doing this. I talk to you, then I never see you again. I don't know if you applied it. All of that, it just didn't feel right. It just wasn't fulfilling for me. So then the two things that ultimately came from that, one, man Network, oh, a space that we can have more contact. You don't just pay for a consultation and life changes after that circumstances. And now you can't even afford to advise with me again, right? <laughs> so let's create this space where it's a more ongoing relationship. Yes, it might not feel as personal at first, but you'll also realize the need where it's better to be able to get information in bits and pieces and apply it over time versus, oh, snap, I just pay this one piece, this one chunk, get some information that's semi-general because it's impossible to really get that deep in that short period of time, right? I'd much rather, oh, snap, this just happened. Sean, what should I do with this manager? They're asking me for this deal or, oh, my stuff is starting to blow up. What should be my next step be? You do the next step two weeks later, What do I do now? Because you actually did it. Right. That's where that ongoing relationship. And I think more and more over time, people will understand that that's way more valuable, than any kind of one on one consultation. When you're at the beginning, it just is your problems aren't as big as you think they are. That's the problem. But they feel so much bigger. And then the agency, again, like I said, that was more about constant learning to serve everything else than just an agency for the sake of agency and being cool within music or, or all that stuff, right? So everything for me serves the larger purpose for being able to teach at scale, which was a goal for me. I taught for a year when I left college and my exit interview, when I left, one of the ladies asked me, this gracious lady, man, she reminded me of like Felicia Rashad. It's like that old school, like royal presence of like black woman. And I told her, I was like, I just want to teach a lot of people one day. I don't know where it came from. That was my goal. And it wasn't until I was two years into the channel that I realized, oh shit, I'm doing it. Because I wasn't thinking about music at all. That didn't feel like teaching, to be honest. I was thinking about something a little bit more uh, like tech-driven at the time. But uh, yeah, so like the teaching at scale and impact at scale in that way is my North Star. And things have come together over time using actual impact as my personal KPI. And fortunately, between that and understanding products and economics and building how you build business that's allowed me to sustain and do it where there's a sense of passion and uh what do you you call it i guess life (laughs) of of money and economics to it
0: (laughs) that's dope man yeah because i feel like you being able to have a scalable way to teach everyone, but also have them benefit from each other. That's the model. Like That's how people are going to get much more out of it. And yeah, to your point, that's one of the main reasons why so many startups aren't going to do some big consulting contract with a company like a Deloitte or whoever. One, they don't have the money for it. And two, it's just so hard to be able to provide lasting value understanding how startups are. Things change quickly, especially in the early stages. And if you make a pivot, so much of that can be irrelevant. An artist's career is very similar to that too because you're trying to gain traction. And in so many ways, some of those deep strategic frameworks, there's principles that will always be core, but if you're really trying to have a clear, precise breakdown, here are the key things you need to do, it may not necessarily be the most applicable, but by you being able to have a network where people can come back to, that is uh much better and. I think, much more focused way on how to do it. Ultimately, I'm glad that it fulfills something that was personal for you, right? You said to yourself, this isn't just about making money. You wanted to be able to provide value and teach people, and you found a way to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, man, it's been huge. And to harp on that point, man, there's so many people, so many artists, where it's not just what might change in their life. A lot of them are so early on, they don't even know what they want. I can tell you how many artists I've been helping, and we've been having good traction. And you're pulling your hair out, pulling my beard hair out, because they decide that they want to completely wipe out their Instagram. And they now have just one picture up. And you're like, bruh, why? You know, oh, I want to be this and I want to go this direction now, which, you know, cool to each his own. I couldn't take that as a manager, though. That's why I do it (laughs) at the length, uh, you know, that I do it. (laughs)
0: That's one of those things that I think works. It's okay if you do it if you're Kendrick Lamar and it's like, okay, everyone knows you're about to drop an album, but it's a little bit different when the person who is building and rising does that because Kendrick in many ways his stuff is in the Library of Congress, right? Like, he doesn't need to have the accessible back catalog in the same way that someone rising up needs to have that. So I'm always intrigued when I see people rising up do that. I'm like, it's very much like a superstar move. And I get it. They're doing things that are inspirational. You want to follow what they're doing. And if you're trying to change your tone and direction, I get it. But even if you do that, it's better to bring people along for the journey and show them that instead of wiping it away from existence.
1: Yes. 100%, man. Like the journey is so underrated these days. And I think people overthink branding as someone who has that brand conversation. So people talk to me about it a lot. People overthink the impact of minor moves, especially when you don't have a certain level of audience. It does get to that point where things might be exaggerated, and amplify, you lift a finger and people, oh, you know, but most people are not at that point. And you're better off letting them see the progress because it's nothing but something cool to them. And people don't even have the attention to pay as much attention as you think they are.
0: Yeah, attention is finite, and especially now, there's so many other places, I think it's going to be a lot harder for people to command what they once were able to, and it's going to be hard regardless of where you are on the spectrum. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But one of the people that I think you worked with and you did a great job of helping them boost things was 24K Golden, and his rise has been impressive. And if I remember from what I read, he went into your DMs reaching out for help a few years back, right? Yeah, man, he hit me up. And
1: it's funny, it was one of those cases where I didn't really get back to him, but it was, I had so many um, DMs and just missed it. It was a time where I was definitely replying to everybody I could, but then he ended up linking with me again later. And he had had this one song called
0: Valentino. What year was this, by the way, that you and him ended up linking up again?
1: Seriously, it was 2019. Okay. So he had blew up with this song called Valentino and he wanted our help primarily with this song called City of Angels and helping blow that up on TikTok. So now that's early 2020 when we really start to get into that. And we did some moves. We helped position that. And that did very well. The thing I give him credit on is more than any artist, I haven't seen anybody that as young as he is, as savvy as he is, and will do stuff. That's how I knew he was going to blow. And I still think he has so much more in him because the talent was there, the music was checking out. The Valentino song, that's a song that can do like, okay, it's viral, but you don't know if that's like a real artist or just some kind of hit. But I started like, you know, every once in a while, I was like, man, I'm helping this guy. Let me listen to another song. Let me listen to, I'm like, oh snap, this guy is talented as hell. But pairing that to say, hey, he signed, I think he was like 19 or something, but he's reaching out to us. Because the label isn't moving as fast as he wants to or something like that. For a kid at that age to think like that, right? And having certain things in terms of his business backing together, even like taxes and all that stuff. I know some of you get help with and all that stuff, but the way he thinks about it, the way he hustles and doesn't wait for a label, right? And has his own vision. Yo, I want to make sure the label understands how dope this is. So I'm going to do a lot of work to get this thing popping since they won't make it pop. And now the label gets behind it. He does that. He, he didn't have to learn it, maybe from watching videos. Obviously I, that was how he discovered me, but like to actually apply it is a whole different beast and work like that. Like, he also did something that <laughs> more artists should take advantage of. Early on, he understood after Valentino Blue that he was a rapper, right? And he did not have as many followers as so many of these people on TikTok, but he's still a rapper. With the song that people know, which is different than I'm an influencer that people know. Just like how they say rappers wanna be ball players, ball players want to be rappers. Well, that same thing applies to like influencers and things like that, right? There are different trades that people respect across the board. So he leveraged that and he did so many videos with so many TikTokers, like meeting up with them and just getting in those spaces. So he built this omnipresence in the community by being in everybody else's videos, right? Even some stuff that some people would think would be cringy and like, I wouldn't do a collab with them. He understood that attention is attention is attention. And I'm gonna take this in this period of time while I can capitalize on it and drive that all back to the music. So there's so much with him that is hard to replicate for a lot of artists. When you include all the expertise and things that we bring but you have that, like that's like our perfect client where we're gonna do the stuff that we do, but you're also doing so much yourself so we can get the ball rolling and we're always gonna get more for less. When it came to him, primarily the areas we worked at outside of general conversation is specific to TikTok and running those campaigns, continuing to blow more songs, not being a one hit artist, right? Having multiple hits. Now his numbers are ridiculous now, so there's no concern and they know who he is. But yeah. If you want anything more specific, I don't know where you want to go with that, but that's kind of like an arc of the beginning of our relationship. And what I recognize in him, I'll say this other thing, the way he converses and treats people, I think is like a stark quality that will translate beyond music at some point, especially when you add in his
0: entrepreneurial hustle. That's what's up. I think he is one of those X factors. And like you said, that's the dream client you're doing all the stuff they're willing to, but they're doing all their other things on their end too, and they're talented. And if you have that, it is one of those things where, yeah, if you're putting in the work and you have the talent, things will work out, but you have to at least assume that, yeah, there is a little bit of luck that plays into these things. But if you have all the elements, your likelihood of success is gonna be greater. And yeah, the point about him doing the TikTok videos with people that would consider them cringeworthy or XYZ, I'm sure a lot of people get involved with those, but you don't necessarily know it's always going to be like that, right? I think if you are almost too selective in the early days, you may miss out on the opportunity you may not realize. And by him being able to humble himself, that's how you can continue to progress and get to the point where he is now, where TikTok put out their year-end report, and he's prominently featured in that as one of the biggest success stories of
1: 2020. 100%, man. As a matter of fact, I'll get specific. The cringiest videos... Or with this guy named Candy Ken or something like that. So, y'all can look up that guy. His content in general is some like what's going on type content. It's very weird. And people like talk to, I remember in the comments, like I lost respect for Golden or whatever, blah, 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 doing a video. This was just so weird. I saw some of those comments. I don't know if he saw them or paid attention to it, but that little bit, right, is what a lot of people uh, worry about. And when I talked about the impact of brand moves, just like people barely remember half of the stuff they've seen after an Instagram scroll. The only thing remembered is the attention. You know, like you made that impression on them again. That is one of a sea of videos that you're going to be in, a sea of attention that you create. Nobody's really thinking about that right now. And then you keep putting out other quality stuff. Like that's very forgivable. There's very few things right (laughs) that are like, it's not until you get to the R. Kelly type level of stuff, right? That it becomes a little bit, You know, you crossed that bridge. But so many other things before that, just like, oh, you did something that could be perceived as lame, blah, 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 whatever. All right, so him having, again, that attention and doing that, go check out that guy, like Candy Can or whatever. Like, you'll see what I mean, the level of his videos, especially if you can find the one with Golden. But that did not last, that impression that some people might have had over him. They probably forgot about it over the weekend. And then you translate to continuing to use the space From going from, hey, here's a hit song. Oh, here's that guy. And he's the one who did that hit song to, oh, he has two songs that I like, even if the other one isn't a hit. And now, matter of fact, I see him so much, I just like him. You cross that bridge over time and people try to do too much at once, not understanding that these are our phases. Beyonce couldn't do the stuff that she does today back then. If she did the stuff that she did today back then, she wouldn't be Beyonce. She might have a a nice niche audience. Right. And and black audience or whatever. But if she didn't go pop star first and really like Michael Jordan, it very clean. If she didn't do that over a career arc and then make a certain decision, she wouldn't be able to do the things and have a certain level of freedom and still maintain a massive audience and attention. LeBron kind of did the same thing. Right. Open up over time. And now I can curse and you know, wear my do-rag even more and be blackity-black. Like, like that's a over-the-time thing, but some of it comes from, I guess, having a confidence in your talent and career to know that it's going to be a career
0: versus just trying to be desperate for a moment. Those are two really good examples. I think about when they both rose and yeah, you saw a little bit of their personality and you could probably assume a lot of who they were, but They were young, media was different, they were different as people, but yeah, you just see them own more of their authenticity. Both of them specifically, much more openly black and proud of that, and you're seeing more of that. And it's dope, but to your point, we did not see that in 2005 for either of them, or 2003 for either of them, it just wasn't the same. Not at all. Well, Sean, man, this was dope. You dropped a lot of gems on here, a lot of good stories too, but before we let you go, Where can the Trapital audience find you if they want to subscribe to your work or follow what you're doing? Man,
1: just check out brandmannetwork.com and that'll take most of the artists where they want to go. If you're an artist trying to come up, go to brandmannetwork.com. If you're, I don't know, maybe a manager or some other type of person, just hit me up at brandmanshawn on Instagram.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend.